circle. The conversation is mediocre at best. It was never deep. It was it was wasn't didn't have substance to it. But I would say my gut from almost the beginning told me we would have a great night out and something wasn't right. And I remember telling my close circle, my inner circle, something is off. Something doesn't feel right. I can't place it, but trust your gut, trust that woman's intuition. And that's been, men will question that from here until the day is done because they don't think that it's real. It's real. Mm. Trust that women's intuition. If something doesn't feel right, pay attention to that. Hey, I'm Megs and welcome to the Free To Be You podcast. I am an identity and alignment coach who is passionate about helping you move into the second chapter of your life as the freest, most self-expressed version of who you really are. If there's one thing I know for sure, it's that when you decide to go on this journey and rediscover you, you are going to need people around you who are going to encourage you to keep moving forward and keep choosing yourself. I have created a free community of women who are doing just that. It's called the Freed to Rediscover You group. It's over on Facebook. The link is in the show notes below this episode. I would love to see you there. I would love to support you on your journey to moving through self-abandonment and into full self-expression. My guest today is Michelle Hill. Michelle is a book and publishing consultant, helping sports and business professionals get champion quality books written and published so that they can increase their visibility and gain prominence in their industry. Michelle is the author of almost five books herself and her soon to be released book, The Heart Swindler, Reclaim Your Heart and Stop Falling for Liars, Losers and Lunatics. Love that title educates women on romance scammers, online dating predators, future fakers, and narcissistic abusers. The book empowers women with stories of real-life survivors and also equips women with resources to recover and reclaim their heart. Michelle, welcome to the Free to Be You podcast. I am very, very excited to have you on the show. I actually say that I'm excited to have every guest on the show, and that's not a lie. I actually am really happy that you're here. Well, I am so thrilled to be here, and I'm really thankful that you are having me on, and I can't wait to dive into the conversation. Oh, for sure. You are a wealth of knowledge on a a topic that I know a lot of my listeners are going to resonate with. So what I would always, well, what I always really like to do is have my guests tell us a little bit about who they are and we can get into what it is that you do later. But this question of like, who are you? A lot of us really struggle to answer that. And that's one of the big reasons that I love what I get to do is to help people answer that well. So in your words, you tell us, who are you, Michelle? Well, that is a loaded question. And (laughs) if you ask my close circle, they would probably have similar but different answers. But if you're asking me who I am, not what I do, I would say I am a well-structured, self-disciplined, meticulous kind of person, nurturing I'm caring. I really genuinely care about people. I don't just say it. You know, I really back it up and I try to just really show thoughtfulness and kindness to others. 
And there's a whole bunch of things in between those lines that uh, maybe aren't as good as that. But I know my downsides as well. And, uh, you know, I can be very self-judgmental and self-critical and all the rest of that that goes along with just scrutinizing yourself all the time. And I think that's who I am. Absolutely. And where are you from? Because you've got a beautiful accent different to mine. And probably people on, you know, your side of the pond think my accent is fascinating. I don't know. But where are you from? (laughs) You have a lovely accent. And (laughs) I am originally from Southern California. I was born in Inglewood, California, grew up in Orange County, California, near a beach community most of my life. And I've been in North Carolina since 2011. And uh, as far as I know, I'm set here. I don't want to go back. I don't miss it. I'm here. I'm a North Carolinian without the accent. <laughs> I love it. So let's get a little bit in more deeper into your story. So I know that your book has come from a very uh, personal place and it's something that's dear to your heart and you're making an impact on, and we're going to get into that later. But Tell me a little bit about, because I mean, you know, you and I are both over 40. Way. <laughs> Way over 40. And so are most of my listeners. And so a lot of us find that, you know, on, on in the second chapter of our life is where we, we really start to reinvent ourselves and we start to overcome things that you know, things get in the way of us really stepping into being bigger versions. You know, that's what I'm all about. So let's dive into like, what are some of the things that you've had to overcome and move through in your journey, uh, you know, in this chapter of life? Ooh, again, that's a really loaded question and I'm going to condense it for the purposes of this podcast. But I've had, to, in the second half, I've had to overcome a lot of, childhood triggers. And I have found that to be, I don't know if you ever get over them, but I've learned to manage them. And at this stage of life, I am 66 years old, but I don't feel 66. I was a late bloomer, thank God, because when everybody else was in their prime, I was just coming into mine. So (laughs) I felt so vibrant and alive at 66. But some of the things I've had to come... Uh, get over overcome is lack of self-confidence. I was taught as a child from childhood not to have self-confidence. So in every way imaginable through verbal, just a lot, mostly verbal, but I've had to really overcome that. And I always equated self-confidence with cockiness. So when I said something nice about myself as a child, I was like, oh, you're getting conceited. So I equated saying nice things about yourself and self-confidence with conceit. Oh, gosh, I don't want to be that. So I think that's the main thing that I have had to overcome. I'm a work in progress. I am, like everybody else, a cracked pot, you know, with pieces that need to be put back together. And I'm not giving up. For sure. And so is there anything in particular that you've been through? And I know the answer to this. So I'm like, I'm letting you go where you want to go with it because it's your story to tell. But what was it that, that made you, what were your experiences that made you write your book? When I was, after a long-term marriage, I was married 23 years, a few years 
after a handful of years after I was divorced, had never been single in my whole life. And I fell prey to an online romance scammer, a predator, built a whole story. Oh, you're the one. Oh, I love you within a very short time, built the scenario and then came from, I was in Southern California. He came from Denver where he lived and was just so, I mean, I saw him cry real tears down his face uh, saying how much, how thankful he was to be with me. I didn't know anything better. I didn't know anything different. I didn't know that wasn't real. Like there were real tears. So eventually it was like, I bought four tires for my car. Oh, whoops. My credit card didn't go through. Something must be wrong with that. I just got a new one, whatever the story was. Oh, I'll put it on mine. And then there was all the supplements, sports supplements. And then there was the luggage. And then, you know, so $2,500 later, I introduced him to one of my coworkers at the time I had a J-O-B and he spotted him within 30 seconds. He asked him a, a couple of questions about where he had lived and he said, there's something wrong. He said, I took him, you know, the, the swindle or heart swindle or back, back to my place. And then I came back to work and, and my coworker said, something's wrong. And so he goes, go home and ask this and this and this question. I'm so naive. You know, I've been a homemaker for 23 years. I don't know anything. <laughs> and so I went home and did that. And the guy knew the gig was up and he totally withdrew, stopped talking to me. The next day, I think I took him to the airport on the way home. He calls me and asks me for money for the plane ticket because he didn't have any money for his plane ticket home. And by that, I mean, I just said, you know, no, and hung up the phone. And then shortly after that, I think I got a text saying, watch your back or something like that. So I had to pay back the $2,500. I had to endure the scourge of verbal scourging of family and close friends who thought I was the most, the stupidest thing in the world and the most gullible thing in the world to fall for, for that. And that, I think that was the hardest, but the hardest thing in that story was the illusion of somebody pretending to love you and believing it and it being a falsehood. And it being not real, that was the hardest thing for me to get over. $2,500, that was a lot of money for me, but he got the attorney before me for $18,000. So I felt kind of fortunate. I've met three of his ex-wives. Uh, he just did this. There was something wrong in the brain. So I paid back that, but it took me a while to get over the illusion. And so that, that and I just recently, and this makes me sound... I know there's strength and vulnerability, and this is scary to share, but I have that nurturing personality. I was at the gym, blah, 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 earlier this year, and what's called a future faker, and he, he apparently had been watching me or something, observing me, and he set up, it wasn't money, it was just emotional manipulation. So I must have that personality that they just can spot a mile away. I've learned so much about that. And that was only a two month thing. I knew what to ask. I looked for the signs and uh, that's what prompted me to write this book because there are other women out there, especially midlife that are prey, especially 
pray for these guys because they know we're vulnerable. Some of us are a little gullible. We're not worldly wise and they, they can smell us. And that was my impetus for writing the book. Yeah. Wow. So what, what is a future faker? I mean, I know, I guess it's kind of sounds obvious, but what do you mean by that? I did not know what that was until I had the gym experience. A future faker is someone who builds a relationship all based on the future. I'm going to take you to this special uh, retreat or this special vacation in the future. Oh, yeah, we kind of have that conversation about our past romances, but that's in the future. We're going to go to Florence, Italy. Oh, we watch YouTube videos on Florence, Italy and travel. And we're going to stay at that hotel in the future. We're going to, I'm going to bring you this treat in the future. That's a future faker. So they don't necessarily say in the future. It's not that obvious, right? Yeah. They just, everything is planning for the future. Not, they don't like real men. They just do things for you. They don't talk about what they're going to do for you. They they just do them. So a future faker fakes the future. Right. Right. I mean, I said that. It sounds obvious. But what that looks like in real life, especially when you have these feelings and you're getting this attention, that can be hard to spot, really, really hard to spot. And, you know, what you said earlier about the money and things like that, again, depending on how our relationship ended, our previous relationship ended, and what the details of that are, we're still going to be in a position where we could be vulnerable because, you know, if if you're not the thing you were left or if you're the one that left or whatever, whenever you find yourself alone after being in a long-term relationship like that, can be a lonely time. So depending on the, you know, how that ended can be, which one of these you fall prey to, but we're all vulnerable to it. So I think it's really important message that you're getting out there for sure. Yeah. If I can war- if I can stop one woman from falling prey and knowing the signs, and I know you can Google all this stuff, but I come from a personal background. I mean, I've been fooled twice and people would say, oh my gosh, she's the dumbest thing on the face of the earth. But like you said, It's women that, and I'm not lonely. I don't think of myself as a lonely person, but you do want attention. You do want some some nurturing, you know? And when you're alone all the time as an older single, and they do prey on newly divorced women, midlife women, newly widowed women. And Mm. there has been there have been women who have given hundreds of thousands of dollars and plotted to kill their mothers to get money to pay a romance scammer. It gets dark and deep in the level that people fall for this. And if I can save one woman from, uh uh-oh, I heard this. I read this story in a book. I heard Michelle on a podcast, ding, ding, ding. Then it's a mission accomplished. Yeah, for sure. And so you mentioned like a couple of, I mean, obviously if if these are people that you can't share their stories, but Are there other people's stories in the book or is it just your stories? There are other people's stories in the book and a couple of them are two, three of them are, and I don't name, I don't call it victim because I don't like the word victim is disempowering. I say that in the book, but there's three stories in there about survivors of narcissistic abuse. And if I just did a book on that alone, it could be 
this thick, you know, yeah. I mean, like four inches thick, but there's three stories in there because it's still relationship deception, you yes. know, and that's where my focus is, is just to, to save women and help women heal from relationship deception. Mm. Yeah, that narcissistic one is a big, I've seen a lot of uh, things online about that, you know, people speaking out about it and and having experienced it and things like that. It's a very, very powerful topic and one that people need to break the cycle in, right? Because we tend to fall back into, well, you can potentially fall back into the same pattern. Yes, because we have the personalities that we have as nurturing, caring women are the traits that they will never have and that they're attracted to. So narcissistic, and, and for this case, what the book is geared toward women. So narcissistic men are just drawn to the caring, nurturing, giving sense because they don't possess those qualities, will never possess those qualities really. And so they are attracted to them, but then they exploit them, those very yeah. qualities that they draw you in. So that's a big, big topic. And one of my bonuses is an exhaustive resource list that just has a whole bunch of videos and books and help to study and find out more and, yes. you know, educate yourself on that. Yeah. On that topic then, like what is some of the uh what is some of the the suggestions that you make for moving out of that spot, like moving away from a relationship like that or getting over a relationship like that more the point because that seems to be where you're coming at it from. I'll start by saying it's not as easy when you're in it as people around you would think because when you're in a either a narcissistic abuse relationship or a romance scammer type of relationship where you don't know they're that yet, but you're in it and people around you maybe can see the signs. And yet they're saying, just walk away, just, just leave them. It's not as easy when you're in the middle of it, when you're entangled with the person. So to me, the first thing you have to do is this is kind of like a, I think what an AA, Alcoholics Anonymous thing, accept that you're in it. I mean, just realize that you are in an unhealthy, deceptive relationship. That is easier said than done. But you have to ask questions and ask the right questions. And if they are evading your questions or gaslighting you as a result of your questions, that's red flag. Yeah. Red flag. So that's the first thing is just to ask the right questions. Another thing would be to once you kind of know that they're they have that kind of personality is get some support around you, get some people who you really, really trust and that aren't judging you and that are fully, fully supportive of you and cling to those people and, and enlist their help to get away, to move. I mean, granted, if it's a dangerous situation, call the authorities and all that. But if it's not a dangerous situation, then just enlist the help of other people to help you. And I'll say escape yeah. from the relationship. So yeah. those are the top two. Um, I would say something else would be just to, to realize and I tell women this all the time is walk in your worth, realize the worth that you have as a woman and you are worthy. And it's so much easy. It's so easy to say, 
and it's harder to do, but walk in your worth and know the value that you have. Walk in that and realize you are worthy of true, healthy love, not mm-hmm. dysfunctional love. Yes. Oh, that's totally speaking my language there. Like part of the reason I'm so passionate about what I do is because I feel like life is easier to navigate when we have a very clear understanding of who we are and what our value is, but also what we value. So I love that uh, that last one there. Circling back a second, because I feel like there's something before those things, like what are some of the signs that somebody would see? I know you've mentioned a couple already in your story, but to be more sort of more specific, what are some of the signs that people, because you don't know you're in it sometimes, you don't see it. So what would some of the things be to look for? Love bombing. Oh, do you know that I just read your mind? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) It's like I've read your book, but I haven't yet. Um, Yes. That's such a big one, right? And because That's such a big one. And that transcends narcissistic abusers, future fakers, and romance scammers. That covers every, they all do it. And that love bombing of when, when the future faker from the gym, I mean, he brought me, I thought I had done gone to heaven. He was bringing me the a little chocolate something all the time, a little cake or something. He brought me lamb chopped. That's ironic to the gym. <laughs> to the gym, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he would bring in chocolate and stuff. But just the love bombing, they, they can't get in, they act like they can't get enough of you. When you when they see you, oh my gosh, you look perfect. And they'll go on and on and on and on about how great you look and about they just compliment everything about you and they're just they're infatuated with you. And so that's a first sign, just the love bombing. And I would say another one would say it would be within if they say I love you within a few weeks, ding, 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 because they don't love you. They don't even know you, you know, and if they haven't talked to you and asked you questions about your childhood and about your growing up and about your friends, they don't know. They can't say I love you, but they will do that because it's often, of course, vulnerable, lonely women or women who just want attention. And so they will do that. So they say, I love you. They love bomb. They say, which is part of the love bombing. They say, I love you way too soon. And sometimes, especially with a narcissistic abuser, they will divide and conquer with your friends. They'll try to separate you from your circle, from your family circle, from your friend circle, and they want you all to themselves. They don't want to meet anybody and they don't want you to meet anybody that they know, but they will try to put a divide there. So it creates a little bit of fiction or they'll question their motives or things like that. So that's the top three signs, but there, I have that in the book, 10, 10 red flags you absolutely positively must watch out for. Those are just three, but there's others. Yeah, I bet there is. Yeah, they're good ones. And, you know, I think we can all, that initial chemistry and uh, infatuation that you feel when you meet somebody if you're attracted to them, especially, is going to be there. That does take time to grow. I'm glad you caveated that, caveated, 
I can never say that word, uh, with um, if you haven't talked about those things. Because I know for myself, like I felt very quickly for my amazing man as he did for me. But the thing is that we spent so much time together talking and being vulnerable and sharing and we'd done a lot of work on ourselves and that was very, very, very obvious from the first conversation that we had. So if somebody is doing all of those other things and you're not spending time getting to know each other, then how the hell can they know, know that they love you? It's such a good point, but not obvious while you're in it. Exactly. And if you don't know what to look for, you could think you're you're having the greatest time together. But one of the the, the other warning signs was that, uh, first I'll, I'll backtrack and say, I would tell my close circle, the conversation is mediocre at best. It was never deep. It it wasn't, didn't have substance to it. But I would say my gut from almost the beginning told me we would have a great night out and something wasn't right. And I remember telling my close circle, my inner circle, something is off. Something doesn't feel right. I can't place it, but trust your gut, trust that woman's intuition. And that's been, men will question that from here until the day is done because they don't think that it's real, but we know it's real. Mm. Trust that women's intuition. If something doesn't feel right, pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, such a uh, big thing. And, you know, with the online dating and you know, a lot of this initial communication happening behind a screen, and particularly for, you know, for, for people in the middle age, it's very, very common that people will meet, you know, there uh, because we're at home and we're, you know, after work or we don't have the kids or whatever. And you can very, very happy to say I had only had one very small <laughs> uh, experience with that and very quickly got bored with it because you can't have that, you can't have as much of that instinct and that chemistry with somebody if you don't meet them in person. But if all of that happens, all the things you've just said is happening in in a message before you've even met them, like that is obvious red flags. Yes, yes. And if they cannot, I mean, and I understand people cannot spell worth beans. I understand, you know, a lot of people cannot write well, but if it's such broken English that it's really not understandable, you're probably dealing with maybe somebody in a third world country that is posing and they have tag teams actually in different countries that are available 24 seven. They post a picture of some handsome dude and then they work the phone. They work the message 24 seven. So that woman thinks, Oh, he's available to me all the time. Mm. But that's, you know, if you want to meet in person, there's some excuse, there's some last minute something that happened that they can't meet you. So that's, I'm giving away all the red flags, but you got to pay attention to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Amazing wisdom in that for sure. So moving out of that space, uh, I know that you've overcome a lot of these things and you've now got this book and it's very, very powerful conversation that we've just had there. Like what does life look like to you now? And what are you doing outside of your book? Well, the book is consuming, has consumed a lot of my time. It is no joke to launch a book. And the book came out in October. And 
I spent so much time working on the bonuses and I developed a, and I, I'm hesitant to call it a coaching program. It's more of a gentle listening program because women who have been through that need a gentle listening to tell their stories and they're broken and their hearts are broken. But what I'm doing now is that consumes so much of my time and so much of my conversation. But now I'm just enjoying life. I do have a a, a male companion that I spend a lot of time with. And I, (laughs) yes. And we laugh like wild hyenas and we sing in the car and I can't sing worth beans, but I do anyway. And we just did this last Sunday singing and having acting like goofballs. And I'm really enjoying that. And I'm always working on other book ideas. You know, I have five uh, so far. I have two children's books, but I want to just kind of develop more books. And for me, I don't want to write a 400 pager. I want to write 70, 80, 90, 100 page books, you know, somewhere in there because I want them to be quick reads and I want them to actually get read. And to with today, with Twitter mentality, you know, and now it's X, you know, we have 140 character attention spans. So I like things to be, my books to be a little shorter. Now I have books, I've read 400 page books uh, in my bookshelf and autobiographies, memoirs, things like that. I'm not opposed to them. It's just not my mission to write a big, thick book because my attention, I'm not, it's going to lose my attention writing my own book with, with that many pages. For sure. So I'm, I'm having the best time. Amazing. Amazing. Tell me a little bit more about this new man. What, what makes him different? Like what was, what were the green flags? The green, <laughs> the green flags was that he is verbally supportive of my endeavors. He really gets behind them. He has spent uh, a lot of time just helping me develop, like with the heart swindler. You know, we're we're talking about product products, branded products to go along with it, and things like that. And he'll spend a lot of time with that. So the time, the asking about my family, talk. When I talk to my son, my grown son and his wife, you know, I put the phone on speaker and he's interested in that. I know many of his family members. Um, I've known him for eight years. So just that is a, another green, green flag. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, that's a really, I haven't had a lot of, I'll say positive frame of references. Is this normal? Is this healthy? Because I've never experienced that. My grandparents were married 62 years. That is a positive uh, frame of reference. My parents were at odds all the time, but they still stayed married 55 years. So I have though, you know, models of, of longevity. But for me, I, I always have to question, is this normal? Is this healthy? Because I don't know. And I'm always working on myself to know, am I being the healthiest that I can be? Am I withdrawing? Am I acting weird? or whatever. But yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, the, the conversation, I think, is just having great conversations, and showing interest in each other's lives. It's not yes. all just one sided. Mm, yeah, definitely. So true. And I think it's interesting what you just said there about not knowing. So that's one of the things that I believe creates 
more intention and more clarity in our lives is knowing what it is that we want as much as what we don't want. We need to have, you know, obviously, you know what you don't want. You've definitely had what you don't want, but also knowing what you do want. And it comes down to those core values. Like what are the things that are important to me? What are the things that are intrinsically mine and at my core? Because yes, we have these extrinsic frames of reference that we can see and and go, yeah, I'd like some of that or I'd like some of that. But why do you want that? That's the answer. Like that's where the clarity comes from. It's like, why am I attracted to that more than that? Why do I want more of more fun, more goofball moments? Like what is it about that that attract? Why am I attracted to that? I feel like really being able to answer the why behind the things that we want to move towards gives us so much clarity and it makes us a lot more intentional about the things we accept and the things we don't. Absolutely. I love that point. And I also would add to that, that we we have to realize the value that we bring to the table. Because if we're with somebody that's narcissistic, they're not going to see our value. They're not going to recognize it or appreciate it, even though we do. But we have to realize that our value, what we bring to the table. And I've been told along the way that, oh, you don't have, you don't have a lot of financial resources. So just settle for a blue collar worker, just a low level kind of person. No, (laughs) (laughs) that is so like, no, I mean, I'm not saying you can't be happy with a, a, trash truck driver or a, you know, something like that. I'm not saying that because it's a person, but just to like, you don't have these resources, so you can't expect this. You don't have these qualities, so you can't expect that. We got to know who we are and walk in that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I love that both sides of the conversation here around what we don't want specifically. And then obviously figuring out what we do want, which is equally important. So, and I'm very happy to hear you have someone to have fun with because that is so important. Life is way too short to have it all be serious and all work. So who else see you Absolutely. for that? <laughs> we just laugh and laugh and we have little catchphrases, you know, that yes. we know because I, I tell him I'm, and this is a funny, this is a funny thing he has some resources. I said, I'm not after that. I'm after your body and your brains. <laughs> and, and so now we <laughs> and so now we have this, we don't even have to say anything and we crack up. When he has a brilliant moment, he we, he just goes and points at his stomach. <laughs> and we laugh at that and we have a bunch of little catchphrases that we just know. And love that. It is kind of like our language. And yes. I love that. Yes. Well, the other thing that I know you do on the side of all of this is also encourage and equip women to write their own stories. So one of the reasons you and I connected originally in the group that we met in was because, as you know, I have been writing a book for far too long and have planned to finish it in the next couple of months. So very exciting time, uh, but also very challenging. And so I know you also have that side of what you do as well. So as we sort of wrap up this conversation, I really want to give you the opportunity to talk about that because I know that it's something you're equally passionate about is like helping other women write their own stories. Well, you are so right about that. And as you know now, 
writing a book is not for the faint-hearted. No, it's not. It? <laughs> not at all. You have to be dedicated. But there's so many stories out there, stories of overcoming and stories of life lessons and stories of coming out of trauma, you know, major complex trauma that could help so many others. And I tell my prospective clients, you're not going to be, you're not going to make money from a book. Hardly anybody makes money from a book. It's not going to provide an income. It's what you do and how you leverage that book. But if you have a bigger why about why you're writing the book, you, it doesn't have to be about that. You go buy your author copies at your discount price and go give them to women's shelters. Go give them to, to, uh, recovery homes where it can really make a difference. So these women have been through multiple traumas in their life, a lot of different abuses. And so it has to be, not to say you cannot sell it. Of course, we want to sell our books on Amazon. Of course, we want to be all over the place. And that's totally fine. That's part of it. But there has to be a bigger mission. But I always encourage women, tell your story. And the what I call the poor man's way of getting started is make a table of contents and just start recording. Use the app on your phone and make sure it's an MP3. Use a, a transcription service and just start going through that table of contents and tell your story and just, or make, make a list of all your stories and then just go story by story. And at least you have it down. A developmental editor can put it, make sense of it. They can, you know, polish it. Proofreader can polish it. You know, there's editor, all that. So don't worry about that. But I say, write from your heart and edit with your brain, but just get everything out. Don't judge yourself when you're writing, just write it. And I love when women tell their stories of overcoming and victory and the triumph after the trauma. That just lights me up. So I always encourage women <laughs> to write from your heart, tell that story. If five people buy your book, then five people's lives will be changed. So good. So how can people work with you and what is it that you do to help people do to that? Yes. Well, I am as a book and publishing consultant, I say in football terms, I quarterback the project. I am the project manager. I was a ghostwriter. I say I'm a recovering ghostwriter. I did that for six years and no, 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 never again. So I have ghostwriters on my team, beautiful ones that just love what they do. And I have all the people on the team that are vetted that I've been working with for a substantial amount of time. I know that the work they do uh, is great. And so I just take somebody. If you came to me and said, I have a book idea. I don't know if it's anything. Well, let's talk about it. And then I take you through the whole process. And I do a lot of things behind the scenes and just help you through each and every step until publication. But I also have teammates who can do the marketing part and the uh, PR is really expensive. Not many people have four, six thousand dollars a month to put into a full fledged PR, but there's guerrilla marketing, you know, as, as the book is titled guerrilla marketing, uh, guerrilla. I don't know if they have a guerrilla PR public relations book, but just there's ways to do it. But when you have that book idea, you start right then and start letting people know about it. 
Perfect. But yeah, but for me, yeah, I just, I lead them through the whole process and I'm there. I connect them with all my teammates. And so I, that's what I do. And then for Heart Swindler, I don't know if you were going to ask about this, but I'm going to offer gentle listening sessions for women going through the aftermath of that because it's, it messes with your head. It messes with your heart. And I know what it's like. And so I'm going to be also be doing that as a, an addition, a complimentary service. So important, Michelle. So important. And it, and because we tend, we can easily step back to what we know and what we're comfortable with and, and attract the same thing all over again without transforming that way of being, right? Uh, and it yes. only can happen as we keep stepping forward. So those sessions are going to be so valuable. And I was 100% going to ask you about that. So I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I didn't know if I jumped the gun or not, but I never. <laughs> you are free to be you on this show, babes. All good. All Love good. <laughs> That's what I'm all about. Oh, it's been such a juicy conversation. I feel like we could dive in so many areas that you brought up, but I know that that's what your book does. So what I would really love to do is encourage the people listening or the women listening, if this resonated with you, if you're unsure that a relationship that you are in or are starting or just anything that you found piqued your interest in this conversation or had you had a feeling around it, I really want to encourage you to get Michelle's book and read it and do the things that even if if until the book arrives, you do those few things that Michelle said and get people around you and start to talk about this. And again, I just think that you are a wealth of knowledge. I love talking to women who have overcome things and who can help my listeners and my audience and my clients to continue to step forward and be more freed to be who they are. So thank you very, very much. Uh, I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes of this episode so people can find them easily. I don't want anyone that needs this information not being able to get it. So it's going to be right down there. And if you are listening and you've listened to the end of this and you're still here, I want to remind you that this is not a dress rehearsal. I say it every show. I want to, it's like my mantra. I tell myself this every day. Uh, we have to keep reminding ourselves that this is it. This is our life. It's up to us. And we can continue to have an amazing journey if we keep choosing ourselves. So, again, thank you, Michelle. And until next week, I have another amazing guest next week. It's nearing the end of the year. So, very, very exciting. Uh, it's been a big year. I want to thank you for all the time that you've spent listening to the podcast and the support that I've gotten. It's been amazing. Michelle, thank you for being here and I will see you all on the next show.